Hello, and welcome back to In Person, brought to you by Visibo. In case we haven't already met, I'm Rachel Rappaport, and in each episode of In Person, we explore the world's most daring events and the people who make them happen. Today, we're speaking with Brad Ehrlich from Marquis Rental and Staging, an agency that helps clients like PwC and the NCAA produce high-quality events, from supplying technical equipment to providing expertise and support. Brad joined the Marquis team in 1994 as a driver and rental technician and quickly learned all of the facets of the event industry. He was soon promoted to management and took over Marquis in-house services at multiple hotel facilities in the Indianapolis area, and later was handpicked to move to Maryville, Indiana to launch Marquis operations at the Radisson Star Plaza Theater as the Director of Audiovisual Services. In 2000, Brad was selected to manage operations at the NCAA Hall of Champions. After a 10-year stint managing the NCAA account, he was promoted to Managing Director of Account Services and the Director of NCAA Account Services. Brad now serves as Marquis General Manager at the Indianapolis headquarters, where he oversees corporate strategic and operational initiatives. In this episode, we take a look at how Brad and his team have adapted to the virtual world and how Marquis has already begun to test the waters with hybrid events. We'll dive into some examples of how event organizers can marry the virtual and on-site experience, how to approach the technical elements of a hybrid event, and the benefits of cultivating a long-term partnership with your agency. Finally, we get a glimpse at some of the more technical terms that event planners should know when producing a hybrid event. And if you stick around to the very end, you'll hear an inspiring story of crossing paths with the acclaimed tennis champion, Billie Jean King. Let's get to it. Here's Brad Ehrlich and our host, Brandon Ravelson. Brad, you've been at Marquis for more than 29 years, but before you made your way to Marquis, you were a personal trainer. So how did you first get into the world of personal training? And I guess second, how did you make the jump into events? You don't see the natural progression there. <laughs> so my family, my parents were in the medical field. My dad was a, a doctor, uh, oncologist, a BGYN oncologist, and my mom was in nursing. And so I sort of was going down that path of physical therapy, kind of that route. And in the meantime, I got out of college. I got a job uh, as a personal trainer, which I loved. And it was paying the bills okay. But my brother-in-law back then started working for this company called Marquis. And he said they were hiring a bunch. And, you know, it's fun technology. And I said, fine, I'll, I'll try. So just to make a little extra money. I got this side gig at Markey's, which then led me 29 years later to where I am today. Wow. Yeah. One of the things with my dad, he traveled the entire world doing lectures as he got later in his career. Certainly one of my all-time idols. And I can remember having these conversations with him because he was, he was a tech geek. He was into everything. When I was in college, just to, real quick, he was able to log into my computer, which, you know, this is late 80s, early 90s. And, you know, if I had a technical issue, you could log into my computer and kind of bounce around in there, which was amazing. I'm not even sure I could do that with a computer from the late 80s, early 90s. <laughs> I know. I, I think I was the only one that had a laptop. It was an old monochrome kind of piece of crap, but it, it, was, a, it was a laptop. But I, I remember he used to work with this program called Harvard Graphics, which was like the precursor to PowerPoint. I'm not even sure. I, I don't think it's around anymore. I don't know when it went away. He would talk about these horror stories because he was right on the cutting edge of presentation technology and these horror stories of gear failing, nobody knowing what to do. 
And I thought, wow, that's really cool. And what a great transition to be in a field that would kind of support folks that have those horror stories. So I think that's my uh, circuitous route to getting into the event industry. At an earlier age, you just had that exposure to it of this can be a pain point. (laughs) Yeah. That's funny. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're so glad to have you on the show. Obviously, we're familiar with the work of Marquis, but with your expertise in particular, you know, you're right at that intersection of the presentation and everything that needs to happen to make that event, make that session, make that just one keynote go off with uh, out a hitch. Yeah, I love being that solution and the person to come save the day. That's That was always a good feeling, yeah. And uh, never any pressure, I'm sure. No. <laughs> cool, so you had this earlier sort of experience with presentation technology. You got a call and heard about an opportunity over at Marquis, and so made your way over there. Could you walk us through your journey once you got to Marquis, how you just got more and more involved with events, and I guess further and further away from physical therapy? Yeah. You know, I started off, it was entry level, I was a driver, so I would, you know, Marquis back then was Marquis Audiovisual, and we delivered equipment around the city to support different organizations. And so that's what I did. I soon became a technician. So then I would run events on the technical side. So I did that for a couple of years. And then I was in Indianapolis. So we had a smaller branch in Northern Indianapolis. And I became, oh, the operations manager, or the dispatcher there. And then eventually, you know, got kind of bored with that, but I was really loving what I was doing. And an opportunity opened up at a hotel. And Marquis is also in-house at many hotels around the country. And this was one in Indianapolis. And again, got more exposure to what Marquis does, learned a lot more. Meanwhile, Marquis was growing and really was love what I was doing. So at that point, it became a full-time position and eventually went to just south of Chicago at a place called Merrillville. You may be familiar. And opened up a hotel there with a company called White Lodging, which is a huge hotel chain. That was our first White Lodging property. We're now in several White Lodging properties, but that was our first foray into that, and that was in 1997. So I stayed there for a couple of years. There was a theater attached to this hotel. The events had gotten more complex, the ones I was working on. So I continued to learn more, grow, gained a lot of experience. I remember I was walking in the theater, and I could hear this kids singing. And it was Leanne Rimes, and she was just a baby. And she was doing a rehearsal, and I was like, oh my God, this kid is so good. And this was before she ever made it huge, I remember. But that was the Star Plaza Theater. If you look it up, you look at the history of the Star Plaza Theater, I mean, it's been around for a long time. And I think that's where I really fell in love with the event industry, because we did so many cool events, and there were so many cool people I met. And I just love the energy and the excitement. I'm kind of a hyper person, and I think it all just fit with me. Flash forward to 2000, 1999 and 2000, the NCAA was coming to Indianapolis. There was a big announcement. They're moving their headquarters to Indianapolis. Our president CEO, Mark Miller, had somehow got a little wind of this, made it so we were going to be on site at the NCAA supporting their events. We needed an account manager, so that was going to be me. That was like a dream job for me, being a sports fan. I could come back to Indianapolis, which I wanted to do, and again, just elevating the type of events I'd be exposed to. So I started the NCAA right at the end of 1999. 
And so I was there until NCAA until 2012. And, you know, we did some events at the top of mountains, on ice rinks. We've taken over cities and had events at multiple <laughs> venues across the city. Just r- really complicated, fun events. And I learned a boatload at the NCAA. We became an ESOP in 2012. ESOP is an employee stock ownership program. So basically all the employees bought the company from our previous owner, Charles Markey. And at that point, I moved over here to our corporate headquarters and became the general manager. Our CEO, which was Chuck Markey, had had moved on. So Mark Miller, my boss, took on his role. And so I stepped into the GM position, which Mark had. That's where we are today. Wow. Going back to some of the events that you named, the types of events, you're talking about events on mountains, events on ice rinks. We're talking college basketball tournaments. Could you tell us a little bit more about some of the events that Marquise produces? We run the gamut. So, you know, that's one of the beautiful things about Marquis. There's really no event too small for us. And I think we put the same amount of focus and care into a small event as we do these large ones. But we still do, you know, local businesses here in Indianapolis will do drop-offs and deliveries and small setups to giant Super Bowl events. I talked about a festival we did with the NCAA where we would take over, say, Louisville, and many schools, this is Division II, would come in and host several championships over that week period, and there's a ton of special events and hospitality and VIP and all these things that go into it, and so it really covers a lot of bases, and you create these teams, and I think this is another reason why I like events, but you create these teams, and we would create these teams that just work so well together and we understood each other. We all sort of had that same weird desire to work on that razor's edge. It's very stressful. The hours are horrible. <laughs> it's nights, it's weekends, all the worst times. And yeah, it's stressful. And there's a lot of things that can go wrong. But it's working together and finding those solutions and that feeling when you've executed a great event, there's nothing better than that feeling at the end. And even if things don't go 100% the way you plan. You know, you adjust, like I said, champions adjust, and then you keep moving forward. And that's probably why I'm in this business that puts all the gray hair in my, on my head right now. It sounds like there are just all sorts of different events that Marquis is helping to produce in terms of equipment and staging. I imagine that 2020 and 2021 is bringing quite a bit of change into how you and the rest of the Marquis family is approaching that. So could you walk us through how your approach, your business model has evolved over that time? Yeah. So last March, Mark Miller and I were, Mark and I were at an event for the rental and staging network for, and Markey's is a part of that. And it's companies like Markey's and and they have a, a breadth across the nation. We were at one of our meetings and this is in mid-March and all of a sudden, these other owners of businesses are seeing their business just up, oh, that canceled, that canceled, that canceled as things sort of went crazy. And then the South by Southwest, another event we've worked for many years, that canceled. NCAA basketball tournament, that canceled. All these things canceled. And within two weeks, we were at like a zero on business. Other than a few in-house contracts that were still paying us, all our business went from, and we were having the best year ever for us. It was definitely going to be a banner year. So we basically pivoted our entire operation to go fully virtual. 
And so what we did, and thank God we built a brand new warehouse here in Indianapolis that had a demo room is what we called it, where we were going to do product demos, training, things for customers to, you know, we want to set up an LED wall, kind of show you what it looks like, those kind of things. We had built this big, beautiful space, which we immediately converted it into a virtual studio. And it's one of the bigger ones you can find with an LED wall and jib and cameras and all the lighting you would ever need and different options. We also, in this new building, which again, finished like in late January, we had our company meeting in January. That was the very first time we were in this new space. I mean, just a godsend. And then the upstairs of this building, we put in another studio. So we had two functioning studios really quickly. And now we're not new to streaming. We had been doing streaming for many years, way back to ISDN lines, When, if anybody knows what that is. So we've, we've been doing streaming for years. So it was nothing new to us, but just completely making it our entire focus. While having 250 employees scattered around the United States, trying to figure out how we keep as many people as we can, how we keep people working, we pivoted completely virtual. We realized we needed some kind of platform, and we looked at a bunch. And somehow we stumbled on Bizabel. That wasn't on our radar. I looked at some others. And so I contacted Bizabo, and I believe I spoke to Ryan O'Connell. And you know, he did a couple of demos with us, and, and pretty quickly we realized this was probably our best bet. We had it checked all the boxes. We thought the price was, was fair. It certainly was, I think, very user-friendly from some of the stuff we saw and very flexible, and that's what we needed. And once we signed on to that, which was in April, we completely started doing virtual events. We got everybody trained across the company to support events virtually. We immediately started training and no matter where you were, you could support an event wherever it was, because we all know Zoom. We all know the virtual ways of communicating. We trained everybody up and had support across the country and, and started hosting virtual events. And it picked up rather quickly, reached out to all our customers, said, hey, we know you're going to be looking for a virtual solution. The event industry is extremely unknown right now. At that point last year, we didn't know when it was coming back. And we started getting our customers in line, engaged and got up to speed with Bizabo, you know, that really saved our bacon. And these studios really were a big help. And outside these two studios, we have a training center here, and it just completely became our virtual command center for across the company. It's been probably my hardest year in my career for sure, but it's starting to feel more rewarding as we see light at the end of the tunnel. It wasn't all bad and trying to keep that positive outlook and keep the company positive. Ultimately, we did have to reduce our staffing. There was just no way to keep the number of staff we had, but we're on the upswing and we're building back. Wow. That's quite a journey. I think your experience there probably will resonate with many of our listeners in terms of 2020. All right, the stage is set. It's going to be a great year and er, all of a sudden you have to <laughs> hard break and adapt. And that's what you and the Marquis team did with these studios, which kind of brings us up to today. You know, we're recording this in towards the end of April and 2021. Virtual is, we know, still something that needs to be supported. We're still seeing organizers and businesses invest in virtual. We're still seeing that provided these virtual events are like very, you know, targeted and their topics and their audience, they're still getting great engagement. But we also know that we're coming back to in-person being on the table again with additional in-person events and also this 
well, this idea of hybrid and blending the two experiences. And I think part and parcel of that, just in-person and hybrid, is this idea of health and safety. There are a lot of concerns with that. Even with rising vaccinations and so on, you know, people haven't been attending events for a while. So Brad, I'm curious from your perspective on the event production side of things, what are some of the key considerations for organizers to keep in mind when, say, working with a venue to produce events in a way that makes attendees feel safe and comfortable? Well, I think, you know, certainly we have our own protocols in place to make sure that we can provide a safe event for our customers from disinfecting high-touch equipment, not sharing microphones, really easy things like that. But from a venue standpoint, I think it's important to make sure your venue is taking those considerations and they actually have an active plan to deal with mitigation in terms of having some seating options that are socially distanced. They have cleaning protocols that meet the CDC guidelines and actually are thinking it through rather than just winging it. I think back in February, I went through COVID-19 officer training and these are really designed for at least the one I went through, more of the movie industry, so sets, but it's it's still the, <laughs> the thought process is all the same. And that's, you know, making sure that we're wearing masks where you're indoors and that they're flexible too and will work with you to fit the needs of your program. While I think there's a great desire and need to get back in person, there is still that trepidation that some customers are going to have. We want those first few events to come back and be good to make us feel better, but certainly finding the right venue is a, a huge part of that. When you think about what a hybrid experience would look like from the attendee perspective, say we have health and safety taken care of, what are some other considerations to keep in mind when selecting a venue that would support a hybrid event? And I guess we can add on to this, just generally speaking, considerations for marrying both the virtual and in-person experiences? I think from a venue selection standpoint, if you're going to do a hybrid event, you're going to want to make sure they have the IT infrastructure to support that. I think that's something that's going to be critically important. Again, thinking about the flow of your event and the physical layout of your venue is important. And then how does this venue, how can they support the virtual component of this live event? For example, I think one of the things that helps with attendee experience and something we've done in the past is have some virtual concierge, if you will, someone who's going to be speaking to the virtual audience so they're not feeling left behind. Because you have this on-site audience that really feels engaged. And then you have this virtual audience who's sort of you know watching from a, a security camera, what's happening in this space. So having somebody that can sort of bridge that gap. And that might mean you might want to have a, a space set up kind of in the middle of a lobby where there could be some interviews or some discussion or there's some sort of, hey, what's going on here? And get the attendees that are live sort of interested in what's happening with the virtual and sort of tying that together. That totally makes sense. And, and having that separate space for that MC to have some sidebar conversations, to sort of segue between session to session. I mean, it's something I think there are analogs for this in when it comes to general broadcasts and maybe some of the, the live streams that were out there pre-COVID times, but something that I imagine we're gonna see even more of moving forward. I understand that you've already kind of 
hit the ground running and had the chance to work on a hybrid example with a client. Could you share a little bit more about that particular example? So I think one of the things we've done for a hybrid event, this has been very successful, and we did sort of talk about that, is have that production studio out and visible to everyone. And we would do key hits throughout the day. We would do you know little quick interviews. There was scheduled time, so the virtual attendee knew, oh, at this time, this is going to happen. We just recently did an event here in our studio, and we gave the attendees who were watching online a virtual tour of behind the scenes on what was actually happening this particular event. We had 100 computers set up, which we were hosting a, a, a large virtual event. Each computer was its own little breakout session. Visually, when you see that, it's pretty impressive. So giving someone remotely sort of that behind the scenes, that insight into how all this is being accomplished really sort of brought them to the fold. So I think any way you can share that experience with your virtual audience and your live audience, the better. Let's jump into terminology. There are a lot of terms out there when it comes to production, whether that's in-person, virtual, hybrid. I mean, I feel like I'm learning a new term every single day. I already just heard a few that maybe I have an idea of, but I'm not exactly sure what they mean in this call. So my you know, initial question for you, Brad, was what are some of the most common production terms that you find organizers do not know? But I'd love to throw in my own personal request first. I heard you mention a jib, and I typically think cut of your jib, that phrase, which I think speaks to boats, but how does it relate to events? So a jib camera is, and the jib is really the, you've seen them at football games, and the really long arm that then somebody's swinging around and controlling the camera, that's a jib. And just provides beautiful sweeping shots of whatever you're shooting and really smooth. You can get them up to pretty long. Ours is 32 feet long. So we have a camera on the on the end of a 32-foot arm that then swings and provides all this beautiful, artful video footage. Uh, what are some other terms that pop up? You know, I feel like we've been in this for a little while, but some of the ones that I think, you know, we talk about that I don't know that maybe others are aware of. One is vMix. I don't know if you're familiar with vMix, and that's just a software no. application that pretty industry standard for streaming live events. Vimeo. We all know what Vimeo is, and that's just a video protocol, to, a way to stream. We obviously use Vimeo and Bizabo all the time. Also, NDI. Are you familiar with NDI, which is a... Non-disclosure no. information. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have no idea what NDI is. So that's another video protocol. I can connect devices over NDI, which is just over the internet. So rather than having to run a million video cables like we used to, they can all be part of the network, and NDI is a standard protocol that most devices understand. Gamification is one. You know, that's a new one. That's that's fairly new. We've we've been living it the last year, and it's just a way to to bring fun into your virtual slash hybrid event. And then one that's fairly new is Simulive, which I think you're aware of, and that's you're playing back pre-recorded content as as if it were live, and nobody's the wiser. And then I thought I would throw in COVID-19 compliance officer because <laughs> out east and out west, those are pretty good paying gigs. So if somebody needs one on set for something cool, you know where to reach me. 
Thanks, Brad. So for our next section, we're going to talk a little bit more about that partnership between agencies and organizations and how both parties can get the most out of it. So let's start off with Marquis. I understand that long-term partnerships and creating those sorts of relationships with clients is sort of key to how you folks run your business. So why is that so important to you, aside from having that client retained for a long amount of time? And what is that value in a long-term partnership for the client? So we've been around 60 years, and we've had Eli Lilly as a customer we've had for almost 30 years. I mentioned the NCAA almost 20 years, or over 20 years. American Legion, well over two decades. And there's a ton of customers like that. Most of our business comes from repeat and referral. We don't do a ton of advertising, and that's been how we've been successful. How does it help you? How does it help the customer? We get to grow with them, grow with their events year over year. We're big on process improvement. So as we, our first year of an event, we learn a lot and we take what we've learned with the customer you know, we want to be part of all of the discussions. We don't be at the table the entire time. So we understand what their goals and their visions are and be able to help execute that. And the way we do that is improving year over year. You know, we're not trying to get the best deal we can this year. We're wanting to help the customer deliver their communication goals, their vision, and just keep doing it better and better year over year. So Hyper-focus on customer service. We are second to none on that. I would put us up against anyone, and that has served us well. And we were started in 1959 by Marty Martel Markey, and she started it as a, as a film strip delivery business. And the original name was Markey's Ideal Pictures. And her focus back then was customer service. And she got to see this business grow, and her son Chuck took it over, and he was the CEO until you know, we became an ESOP. That's the message we've been driving since I've been here is customer service, looking at those customers as it's not transactional work with you for the long haul. We're going to work year over year to make sure your events continue to get better. and We can learn and en enhance those together. So as we think about like navigating towards this virtual and hybrid future, I know that there are different ways that you were thinking about licensing your virtual event platform to drive value for your clients. Could you share a little bit more about that initiative and how it is driving value? So we bought into Bizabo and immediately got people trained up. I think I built the very first site, which if you look at it now, I mean, it's just, they would laugh at it. But uh, <laughs> we got a lot of people very engaged in it. And we created a position pretty quickly called ESP. We love acronyms here. And that's an event support professional. And these are the folks that, will meet with customers, understand the vision for their virtual event, and then map the strategy forward to build the site and then execute the event. Well, along with that ESP, we branded the Bizabo platform as MVP, which stands for Markey's Virtual Platform. A little bit down the road, we decided we would add to that. So MVP then became Marquis Virtual Presence. And within that is the MVP Studios, which we've talked about. The studios are here in Indianapolis, and we have them in other cities. The MVP Creative Services, and so those are the folks that are going to help you develop your content, build the site for you. And then MVP Productions, that's the crew behind executing these flawless events. So 
there's really four MVPs in there, the MVP platform, MVP studios, MVP creative services, and MVP productions, all within our MVP Marquis virtual presence. So there's a lot of MVPs in there. I mean, talk about evolution and growth. It's a whole new arm of services that have emerged in the past year or so. Absolutely. And it's certainly garnered us new customers. We've certainly helped a lot of existing customers. We've gained some great new customers. That's been an amazing outcome of this. And, and I think some will continue to do virtual events and some will do hybrid and some will be involved when they go back to fully live. So it's been, while a very trying experience with the way we were structured and our focus on the customer and the people we have, we were able to turn something very good out of something that was pretty drastic and dramatic. Wow. I know we're coming up to time. I just have a few more questions for you, Brad. First off, we talked a lot about the value of that agency partnership, of being super customer-centric, customer service-oriented, of growing and iterating on events produced with clients year over year, event over event. But you know, that set aside, what's one piece of advice you would give to your agency peers in the space who are also looking to drive value for their clients? I think one of the things we've learned is don't be afraid to speak up. And what I mean by that is sometimes we're trying to really focus on providing the customer service, but maybe we see them going down a path that we know could be maybe not the best way to approach an event. So I think if we can stand our ground in certain areas and really push the customer in that direction, you really know is going to be better for them, even though that's not their goal, but you're sort of seeing the future and maybe you've been burned by something before. I think that's really, really a key to making sure that, you know, you're looking out for their best interests. So sometimes speaking up, not trying to deliver the best customer service in that moment, it may not feel like it in the, although you are because you're steering them in the right direction. Great. And who's someone you look up to in events, marketing or business in general? I think my dad who passed away quite a while ago is probably the person that I still look up to him. He's, he was the hardest working person I've ever met and was also just loved by everyone. He was just a great person. I had so many interests and I could never keep up. And he made his own wine, made sauerkraut in our basement, made beer. Wow. He was, like I said, a tech whiz and read constantly. You know, we didn't, didn't really have the internet. I think he died before the internet got to be anything. But I can only imagine I had we had volumes of books and magazines and hundreds of those. And he would just constantly read, constantly be doing stuff. So he's a guy I've always looked up to. And always, but in terms of business, Mark Miller, our president and CEO, has been awesome to work with throughout my career. And is really, he steered me. I quit Marky's at one point and he pointed me in another direction, said, Why don't you try this and see what you think? And what he did really helped me and kept me here. And so he's definitely one I look up to. Well, your father sounds like quite an inspiring man. And a shout out to Mark Miller. And he had a great handlebar. My dad had a great handlebar mustache, which mm. during COVID, I just, I never let my facial hair grow, but I did. I almost had the handlebar. It just, it just didn't, didn't work for me. He, yeah. also wore the, he also wore the bow tie every day. So I don't, oh, wow. I, I didn't have that going on. It's like a true Monopoly guy. Yeah, no, that's a very good look, but it's very tough to pull off. Absolutely. All right. So how can our listeners keep up with Marquis, you, and all the great work that you and your team are doing? 
Well, you can visit us at www.markies.com. Or if you have an event, you have questions and you want us to help you, you can email us at info at markies.com and someone will get right back to you. Excellent. Well, thanks so much, Brad. All right. Thank you. Thank you again to Brad for joining us and thank you all for listening. If you enjoy listening to In Person, there are several ways that you can show your support. Subscribe, rate, leave us a review, and share the show with your colleagues and friends. If you'd like to share your feedback, please drop us a line at in-person at bizbo.com. That's in-person at bizbo.com. You can also find full transcripts of the show along with key takeaways at inpersonpodcast.com. In Person is a production of Bizbo. Today's episode was hosted by Brandon Raffleson, co-produced by Brandon and myself, and edited by Brian Paik. Music by Ian O'Hara. Until next time, I'm Rachel Rappaport. Thanks for tuning in. All right, Brad. So I noticed you in the background of your office, you have a Billy Jean King action figure, I guess. <laughs> what is the story behind this? That was given to me from a colleague, but it's centered around a story, probably one of the best stories of my career. And that's, we were doing an event and Billie Jean King was the keynote speaker. And so I'm standing with her before she goes on stage, we're in the wings and just kind of talking about what's going to happen. And so right before she enters the stage, they play a video of her life. And as I'm watching, I'm not hearing any audio. And immediately I'm, my head's kind of like, oh, I'm rubbing my forehead. Oh, no. And Billy Jean King sees that I'm a little bit anxious about this. And she says, Brad, don't worry about it. They'll figure it out. She says, you know, there's the economies in shambles. This was back in 2008, 2009. And today a plane landed in the Hudson. This is the least of our concerns today. And I said, that's great. You have to make sure you tell our customer. Anyway, she goes on and goes on stage. But the best part of the story is the following day, I'm in our office there on site. I think we were in somewhere in D.C. And they bring me this book. And it was Billie Jean King's book. And it had been signed. I opened it up. It had been signed. And it said, hi, Brad. Say hi to the family. Thanks for everything. And then remember, champions adjust to send that to me and just take the time to do that was something I found awesome and I have a lot of respect for her. She was great. She was great.